Hello and welcome to another episode of Matinee Mondays here on the Remnants of Reese's Remember All. Today we're doing a older episode. This is one of the episodes that was mentioned in the channel trailer, so take some time, sit back, relax, and please remember, all of the socials are outdated, and um, enjoy. Movie lovers and welcome back to another episode of Robert's Reviews. This week we're going to be going over a wonderful little piece of science fiction entitled Annihilation. This movie is one of my absolute favorites of the year. Uh, it is definitely in the top three. I dare say it's my favorite film of the year, especially for the science fiction genre. But before we get right into the movie, we're going to be talking about a little bit of news this week. As I was scrolling through my Facebook feed and my Twitter feed, I saw today come through a couple of articles on the upcoming Bohemian Rhapsody, the biopic for Freddie Mercury and the band Queen. The articles were hitting on the fact that the movie almost didn't get made because of Sasha Baron Cohen, who was to play Freddie Mercury back in 2013 when the project was announced, that he had quit due to creative differences. And some of those differences were more poignant to the fact that Freddie was going to be dead through the second half of the film. It was pitched to him as a biopic, and it was not really so much a biopic about him, but of the band itself and how the band was reeling and trying to carry on afterwards. Um, and these are also some of the same reasons that director Brian Singer also left the project. Um, there were some other reasons alluded to in the couple of articles that I saw pertaining to why Singer left, but there wasn't a whole lot of information given. And with, I want to say with the gravity of this project, it's understandable as to why both of them were just like, look, it was just creative differences. You know, at the time I left, this is what was going on. I don't know what's going on anymore. We don't really know entirely what all is going to be going on with this film, which is a good thing. You know, there haven't been spoilers left and right for it. There was also a bit of hubbub on Twitter about this film um, because the first trailer was more accentuating Freddy's heterosexuality, talking more about his marriage, but we all know that Freddie Mercury was actually gay. It was uh, Brian Fuller who pointed it out in a tweet, according to the article that I saw, and I, that's where it gained its traction, that's where this whole thing gained its momentum. In later trailers, they make his sexuality very, very blatant, and it's over the top, which... You know, stage lifer Freddie Mercury was very over the top. He was bigger than life on stage, but everything else behind stage was more quiet, more reserved. He he was actually 
like two different people. When he stepped out on stage, he was larger than life and very big and very animated, but you get him behind stage and you're talking to him as a normal person and he's this shy, quiet, reserved guy. You know, that's what I'd always been told, so that makes sense. You know, you have your stage persona and who you really are. So to me, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, what the movie's going to be like, and this comes out on November 2nd. So uh, it's going to be a little bit of a wait, but from where I sit, this could be a great film or a dumpster fire full of crap. If it is about the band getting over Mercury's death, I, I think that it might end up actually flopping. But without further ado, right on to Annihilation. This movie, this was this was great. This was a fun one for me. I I will be enjoying this review today. Getting right down to brass tacks uh, with the specs here. The genre is adventure, drama, and fantasy. Like I said, also science fiction. This film is rated R with a runtime of 1 hour and 55 minutes or 115 minutes, depending on your preference of timekeeping. With a budget of uh, an estimated $40 million, and it made $42.9 million worldwide. So by all accounts, it was a success because it did make a profit. It made $2.9 million profit. This film was directed by Alex Garland and also written by Alex Garland. Annihilation is based on a book of the same name by Jeff Vandermeer. Annihilation stars Natalie Portman in the role of Lena, Oscar Isaac as Kane, Jennifer Jason Lee as Dr. Ventress, Gina Rodriguez as Anya Thorson, Tuva Novotny as Cass Shepard, and Tessa Thompson as Josie Raddick, along with David Geisy as Daniel and Benedict Wong as Lomax. Now, when I first saw the trailer for this, I was a little skeptical, because you know how that is. You see the trailer, it doesn't show enough of the right thing, and you're just like, I don't know. But I will say, you know, them putting the focus on the spectacle of it was really a great thing because this movie, it told its story a lot through the visuals. And from the perspective of these four women who go into what is known as the Shimmer, it all just kind of makes sense that, you know, they're going to be talking to each other very blatantly about this. So for us to follow along, we need those visuals for the casual person who's not really that big into science, it, it's really fitting that they did put that focus with the spectacle. But the other thing to to my mind was that it kind of reminded me of The Expanse, the sci-fi show, which is cool. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, it just made me think of uh, season one, kind of that whole, well, what if it had crashed on Earth? You know, it was that whole whole thing and it's like well you know that's a cool premise but you know we'll see what it is right um it was abs it did live up to all expectations of what a movie about you know 
unknown aliens could be, you know, this unknown thing that's changing the world, and a bubble that's growing and changing everything in its path. And we don't know what's going on. We sent people in. So picking all of that up from the trailers that I watched, and yeah, I did kind of go through and watch all the trailers before I decided to watch this, because I'm like that when it comes to my sci-fi. I'm really big into sci-fi, and I'm really big into horror and musicals, just movies in general, if it catches my attention. Before I go any further, if you are not a Michael Crichton fan or don't know anything about Michael Crichton, you might be a-okay. If you're a fan of Michael Crichton and you know his work, you're going to pick up on a lot more. This movie, it's got some timeline feel, and it's got some feel of the sphere, just with its more fictitious elements and the stylization of the film. And if you saw both, you know exactly what I'm talking about, and we're going to get into that later. The other thing I want to point out is I did say that this movie is based on the book of the same name. It is different from the book. It is everything that I've read. It is vastly different. So if you're looking for something that's exactly like the book, I'm sorry, you're going to be a little disappointed. But it is, by all understanding, a good adaptation. Um, there were several differences. They did leave the ending open for another movie or uh, a series of small films um, like Netflix or something. But they did leave it open, and um, there is that possibility. And just like The Sphere, it had that possibility of more, but we'll never know. Well, with Sphere, we do know they didn't make any more. Spoilers are ahead, so if you haven't seen it, well, it's been several months since it came out, so I don't feel too bad, but it is good and you should see it first. So we're just gonna, we're just gonna say that you should pause this, hunt it down, find a copy somewhere and, and give it a watch and then come back. But if you don't care if you get spoilers, great. Press ahead. Alex Garland seems to have taken some ideas from the sphere with the open ending. And to me, the big one being the title cards, which split up the film into parts. The sphere did this so well, and it just made you go, wait, what? And left you kind of in that state of wonderment, and which is exactly what Annihilation does. And Annihilation did it wonderfully. The acting by Oscar Isaac and Natalie Portman were... Great. The two of them did wonderful, especially in creating that, wait, what's going on right at the end? It was just, it, it caused a debate in the theater as we were walking out between my husband and I. We were just kind of back and forth going, no, <laughs> that's not what happened. That's not what I saw. So it definitely plays on the perceptions of people, how you pieced the puzzle together and I don't think that any answer is wrong with this film. With the books, however, I think that you're going to get something entirely different. Refraction of DNA. Um, this is something that is stressed a lot in the film. The mixing and blending of various DNA by unknown means. Uh, some of it seems to be through just coming in contact and getting the oils on your skin. Um, others seems to be through ingestion. Others seems to be through breathing it in so it's just a refraction it's like taking dna and putting it through a kaleidoscope with other dna 
and the reactions that happen are absolutely wonderful. There's so much going on visually with that film. The gator with um, sharp row teeth is just kind of one of those, wait, what? Um, and then the deer with uh, antlers, and at the end of the antlers is flowers and the more natural camouflage deer, and the way they move is like they were once one, so did they just, you know, like a cell divide, and now you have two? It leaves a lot of questions, let your imagination play. It was very visually stunning in that regard. They put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it. There is the letter 8 on Lena's arm. And it is the symbol of the Ouroboros and the infinity symbol combined, which can mean one of two things in the context of this movie, uh, total immortality or eternal suffering. But I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of what immortality would be, uh, constantly losing everyone you've ever known, everyone you love over and over and over again until the end of time, which is very daunting for some people, but other people see it as just how life is, and they don't want to die. It's up to you what you think about that. In the beginning of the film, Kane and Lena are talking, and Lena mentions that single little flaw that keeps us from being immortal hidden away within our DNA. Now, could this uh, be a sign of the goal being reached? Could that be the whole thing, the whole point in the movie is that now they are immortal? Um, I'm, I, I don't know, you know. It's one of the things that has me really wanting to, to read the books so much is it, it left me with the right questions and a desire to see more. But I'm afraid that because of how the movie did in the box office, it's not going to get another installment. So. I'm going to have to go to the books for it. Now, one of the side effects of the Shimmer is the loss of self-identity. And it's through that refraction, but it's also not just a refraction of the DNA, which causes you to physically change, but it's also a refraction of your mental, you know, your mental state. That is a terrifying thing. And the, the characters state repeatedly on the mental state that they are in and how it seems to be ever changing and it's, they're, they're not sure of anything anymore and they're not sure of who they are. The biggest thing that keeps coming up is the fingertips are more specifically, their fingerprints keep changing so entirely. This, this to me, it hints on the subject of something shown and not told more impact um, simply because you know we don't see them changing physically too much we see them changing mentally and them undergoing a great deal of change Radic has accepted the change entirely she's accepted it completely um, Tessa Thompson does a wonderful job portraying this uh, mentally and emotionally damaged young woman each one of the characters has their own flaw. Radix is, she's very suicidal, and she is just trying to feel something, anything. So her accepting this change and being able to feel something for the first time, you know, other than pain and 
anguish from her own body being torn up and cut up is just exciting for her. And she can't wait to explore more of what's going on. So you see her excitement coming from this pain and this self-harm area, this, this torment that she's been going through. The change that Raddick underwent partway through this film, she became a living plant. Well, plants are living, but uh, there were these trees in a small town that they came across, and some of the trees and bushes had taken the shape of people, and it just kind of makes you wonder, were these people before, and Raddick's change was one that kind of confirmed that, yes, these were once people just going throughout their lives just day to day, you know, and then they just kind of became something else entirely. It was eerie, but also kind of beautiful at the same time. So it did very well to play on that. There, there's something in it for everyone to make you go, oh, cool. And at the same time, oh, my, oh, oh, oh wow, that, that, ow, wow, that's not good. Let's see here. Shepard lost her daughter, um, and it sent her into a spiral, and she doesn't think she has anything else to live for. Thorson is a recovering addict. The way it's talked about, it could be heavy drugs or alcohol or both. And um, Dr. Ventress has cancer. Uh, she's got only a couple of months left to live. And... Uh, Natalie Portman, a.k.a. Lena, is in there searching for her husband, Kane, played by Oscar Isaac, because she uh, cheated on him. And that's why he left a day early for this trip and why they parted on poor terms. She cheated on Kane with a colleague of hers, Daniel. And we're seeing all of this in kind of flashback formation. Um, as it's being guided by Lomax interrogating Lena from the beginning of the film. We see Thorson go through a breakdown, and it seemed to be linked to a uh, flashback of her her days of addiction and struggling to climb her way out from her days when she was in deep and trying to get clean. Ventress and Lena are the only ones to make it all the way to their objective. Uh, in the dead center of the Shimmer is a lighthouse, which is where the asteroid or ship crash landed. Uh, Ventress makes it there before Lena, and Ventress allows this mass into her and allows it to change her. Uh, it is kind of that last ounce of defiance to her own body that had turned against her, as I would rather live this way than die because my own body rejected me. I would rather become something else entirely, something alien, become something, become part of something else rather than let myself die. There's there's a chance that this could save me. So right there at the end, we see Ventress's true desire for entering into here. It wasn't, you know, a suicide mission to her. We see these two women and it wasn't a suicide mission for them. The others, they didn't think that they'd make it back out, that there was a chance of them ever returning, and that's exactly what happened. It was like 
a self-made prophecy. You know, they were told, oh, you go in there, you'll never come back. And they're just like, hmm, yeah, that's kind of my point. I don't want to come back. And for Ventress, it was, if I have a shot of being cured, I'm going to take it. And she saw this as her shot. Now, as I said before, the shimmer changes everyone. The film is about creation out of the destruction of the old. We can fight the flow of the river and possibly win or die. Or take the ride and see where it goes. Ventress is absorbed and does become one with this and allows it to take a humanoid shape. Um, and, uh, there's a struggle between Lena and the alien as it's taking shape. It begins to become her, or at least outwardly appears to become her. But there's also like this split moment where, consistently split moments, where you begin to think, okay, but is this Lena or is this the alien? Who is who in this situation? And that's like the cliffhangers that we don't know and we'll never know. And we're just going to have to get used to that idea of not knowing. But I'm going to be going to the books. As I said, um, the local library has the audiobooks and uh, paperback books. So I will be picking those up and giving them a read here soon. Uh, as soon as I get through the magician's books. Also very good reading. As far as the shimmering eyes at the end for Lena and Kane, um, there are theories that suggest the shimmer will begin again from them, you know, just emanating from them. And for me, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, to expand it, we see Kane's eyes shimmer first and then hers, meaning that he may have transferred it back to her because we know that she knows who is who. And he admits that he's not Kane. And he asks about her, and she says that she doesn't know. She genuinely doesn't know. But she would rather take this version of Kane rather than not have him at all. And I think that speaks to her own pain of having cheated on him, that she wants to make this right, and that she can't let go. Both of which I completely understand, uh, coming from her character's perspective. So the shimmer may have been transferred back to her. And now we have the process starting all over again, but in a more refined way. As I've said before, and I'm not going to stop saying it, the visuals are absolutely stunning. From the shimmer force field, the mutations, yes, even the scary ones, the crystal trees and plants of varying types, the plants of human form, Ventress's death, and the shimmer taking form, all of it is absolutely amazing, even on a second watch. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk about the bear, because I said the, even the scary ones, and the one that even, it, it still gets me. Like, I see that scene, and I just, I get goosebumps, because Radic became a plant, and Shepard was carted off by this bear deer thing he killed. And then Thorson got killed by it later, and it was just, oh, oh my, what, what, wow. So when this bear thing catches up with the ladies at the house and comes down that hall, 
and you hear it, the first thought in my head was, oh, no, 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 no. What is that? Because that sounds just like Shepard. Like, what is going on? And then Thorson gets taken out by it, and it's like, ah, no, 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 I don't, I don't need this in my life, I don't want this in my life, and then you see it, and it's got, like, the, the head of a wolf and a deer mixed, like an exoskeleton on top, and it's, it's clearly changing and mutating, and when it opens its mouth, it's got shepherds screaming, you know, and shouting, help me. And it's just, it's unsettling as all get out. It's terrifying. I, I had a nightmare about that. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was nightmare inducing because just this thing that can eat people, you know, and then mimic them. It's terrifying. It is absolutely terrifying. And I hope I never come across anything like that in because I will just be a complete and total mess. Yeah. And as a note on this creature, uh, the pelt has this shimmer as well. And now that could be from the mutations or it could be from fish it's eaten or both. And honestly, uh, <laughs> terrifying. The lighthouse itself seems to not only be the dead center, but the point driving it outward as well. As the light turns, you know, light travels. So it's just pushing it further and further out. Um, but overall, the lighthouse doesn't seem to be that affected. Um, there are trees made of crystal on the beach or some sort of uh, organic rock type mineral. Um, it seems like quartz, but it also seems plant-esque alive. And it's, it's odd, but it's also very intriguing. Like, Starfleet would go crazy over this. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. They really would. Breaking right into the music segment of this, um, the score for the film is actually very well done. A few articles concerning the process of this odd and entrancing score allow the composers, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury, to explain how this came to be. They explain in an interview with Rolling Stone that the acoustic orchestral sound came from Crosby, Stills, and Nash, while the electronic was based on mode rap. Crosby, Stills, and Nash was playing at one point in the beginning, and it, um, it definitely can be heard in the rest of the score there influence, as it were, um, on the composers. For both groups, um, I, I took a look at uh, some Modrat that was pointed to by a couple of different articles, and you can definitely hear the sound. Um, and the two of them combined, you know, all of that combining and playing around with everything that the composers did gave it a creepy and awe-inspiring, almost wonderment feel like you know you're you're staring into the void but they make it absolutely beautiful and you don't want to go anywhere um there are 18 tracks on the soundtrack and only two of them are over five minutes long those being the last two tracks on the cd entitled the alien and annihilation both of which absolutely make sense 
Um, I give the music a four out of five simply because there's a thing called um, the haunting notes and it's the sound cue that uh, played throughout the trailer and it played all throughout the film and especially right there at the end kind of gave it that uh, Jaws type feel combined with uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, those iconic sound cues that just make you go, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're doing. You know, that from Jaws, it picks up pace so you know what's about to happen. This kind of has a similar feel to all of that, that trope. And I liked that because it was something new. It was a different take. They They didn't really speed it up. They just repeated it. And sometimes it was close together. Sometimes it was further apart. And it was just kind of a cue. Like it was almost like the alien itself was talking to you. And that was something that I really enjoyed. I liked that. Where the music could kind of fill in from everything else that was going on. And and we didn't need the alien to speak because it was like it was telling us what it wanted in a secret code. Which is even creepier now that I think about it and say it out loud. Overall, for the score of the the film, um, I give it a 4 out of 5. I was a big fan, and still am a big fan, of The Sphere. Dustin Hoffman, Samuel L. Jackson, Queen Latifah, all wonderful in that movie, and it was great. You know, leave Schreiber in it as well. So wonderful. I, I enjoyed the crap out of that movie. And the fact that this one gives a nod to Crichton's work, it just kind of is like a yes. But also at the same time, I can see how fans of the books are going to be like, well, this is just a bunch of bullcrap because you haven't read the books yet. Well, I'm working on it, guys. Give me some time. But that about does it this week. We have Wrinkle in Time next week. And then the Marvel Avengers Infinity War the following week. Uh, that is, unless, of course, life happens to get in the way and there's uh, more time I have to spend away from home. But hopefully, uh, if anything like that happens, I will let you all know over on the Facebook page and over on Twitter. So go ahead and head over, follow on both of those, and that's where I tend to keep everybody updated on what's going on with this. We'll see everybody back here next week. Until then, good night and good luck.